Thank you for joining us today on the Vision Church Podcast. Our mission is to lead people to Christ and help them live out God's vision for their life. Our teaching team has crafted a message that hopefully can encourage, inspire, and also challenge you on your walk. Make sure you subscribe so you never have to miss another episode, and we hope that you enjoy the message. Dear Lord, today I just speak to everyone who is coming in here hurting with a broken heart, who may feel like they just arrived in pieces, hanging on by a thread despite countless attacks and just uncertainties in life that may just make them at times, if they may ever doubt you, if they may ever think that, God, you may even be against them. God, I just wanna speak hope today into people. God, I wanna speak your word over every situation, God. I wanna speak the name of Jesus over every uncertainty, over every missed opportunity. And I wanna speak hope right now in the name of Jesus Christ to you with all heads bowed and all eyes closed. I don't want to just rebuke Satan in Jesus' name, but I declare that the Lord rebukes Satan in Jesus' name. Whenever Michael the archangel was was having a dispute with the devil, he didn't just rebuke the devil. He said, the Lord rebuke you. And over every missed opportunity, over every failure, over every bankruptcy, every divorce, over every situation, I say, the Lord rebuke you in Jesus' name. And Jesus, today we call on your name and your presence to come into this place this morning. God, I pray that we would just decrease today and you would increase, Lord. And just like how you taught us to pray, God, we want your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, in these moments, following moments, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will just fall on us. We'll see tongues of fire in this room, God, they will be testifying of the Son and that your word will just be delivered with such clarity, accuracy, and boldness that it can penetrate any stubborn hearts or any preconceived notions about you, Lord, that people may have received from the enemy. And God, ultimately, I pray that people will come into a relationship with you today. And for those who are already in your family, I pray that they will grow stronger and closer to you and they will walk, and they will walk out saying, I experienced being in God's presence today. So Lord, that's our prayer. I pray that these next couple moments, God, that you just put everything aside, all the struggles of life, all the fear, all the shame. I pray that, God, you just put it to the side so that we can hear from you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, Vision Church Band, if you could stay up here for just a few more moments. Um, So we're in this series called This Is How I Fight My Battles. And if you have kids in here, they can be dismissed as kids. I also call up in the spirit before. If you already said that, then kids, you're just dismissed twice. That'll count for a week when someone forgets to say it. But kids, you're dismissed. You're gonna hear about God's word this morning. But we're in our series, This Is How I Fight My Battles. Turn to your neighbor to your left, say, this is how? Turn to your right and say it louder because that wasn't that good. I fight my battles. Battles. Turn to your left, try it again. This is how? Turn to your other favorite. I fight my battles. So we're in part six today. We've had an incredible series so far um, from our teaching team here at Vision, just showing us for any battles in life, how we can fight them, not by my own strength, not by the strength of some of my friends and my family, but by the power of Jesus Christ. So we're in part six today. And before I tell you, uh, actually before we go into the sermon, I have a story that I want to share with you. So this story is about a gentleman who grew up in West Bay Springs, Indiana, with five siblings. 
He had a tough upbringing in poverty. I'm not sure if anyone can relate to that, but uh, in this story, you're going to see this man turned out to be extremely successful. One thing I want to point out, just it, your, your outcome is not based on where you started from. You could start from broke, poor, and depressed, and you could, be a, you could just shine. You could be totally fulfilled in your workplace. Where you are starting is not where you're going to end. So this gentleman grew up in poverty. His dad worked various jobs, but often was unemployed and barely even had enough money to keep the furnace on. And it was up north in Boston, so whenever it was cold, if you've ever been to Boston before, it gets cold in the winter. If you don't have a furnace, uh, you're just going to be cold. No other good synonyms to replace that with. His dad was also an alcoholic, which means whenever he was working, uh, the few times he was, the money went to, it just went to the bar and other addictions that, that come associated with an alcohol addiction instead of providing food for his family. And can you imagine as a little boy how that feels if your dad is spending money at the bar and not putting food on the table for you or making sure that you are warm? How does that make you feel as a kid? And some of you can maybe relate to that. His parents split at age 17 and his dad uh, committed suicide a year later whenever he was 18. Uh, a lot of people believe that was due to his alcohol addiction and just the, the, uh, the amount of shame and fear that came from that. So this gentleman was always interested in sports, but in high school, he was like, hey, I'm actually gonna take up basketball, why not? And I believe part of it was because one, he was good at it, and number two, he wanted an outing from the world. I'm not sure if you're ever in a spot where your, your job is so stressful, your marriage is so tense, where you're like, I just have to do something. I have to go play sports, I have to go work out. Some of you play, I may need to go smoke something, I may need to go drink something. Sometimes people, they just need an outing, not saying those are right, people just have an outing sometimes. But he was actually pretty good at doing this whole basketball thing. He accepted an offer to play at Indiana State, moved to a local community college, but then he was actually like intimidated by the size of the school and he, he kept on transferring around, married his, high school sweet, married his high school sweetheart, had a baby, and then they broke up. What am I trying to say so far? This gentleman's life was tough. Dad committed suicide, divorce, single dad. He, he was playing basketball, and eventually he, he just had to stop because he needed some money for his family, and I believe that's because he knew what poverty was like, and he said, I'm not gonna be like that again. So he dropped out of playing basketball, and he became a garbage truck driver. It's okay. And I wanna first of all speak hope into you is that if you used to have a high six-figure job high up on the corporate ladder, and if you drop down to another job, God's not mad at you. It's okay. You're right where God needs you to be right now. So he was persistent in playing basketball and then later recognized by Indiana State's head coach, Bill Hodges, who convinced him to commit to his program. 1978, he got drafted to the Boston Celtics. And in 1981, the Celtics beat the Houston Rockets, the man's first championship at age 24. Went from poverty to a championship at 24. Had two more championships in 1984 versus the LA Lakers and in 86 versus the Rockets again, averaging 24.3 points per game, 10 rebounds and 6.3 assists per game. And you may have heard of this gentleman before, his name is Larry Bird, one of the best basketball players of all time. So he went from poverty and he ended up a baller, no pun intended. So why am I telling you this? One, because I need to know more about sports. I had to do my research. If I'm wrong, please don't correct me because you're wrong too. Um, but the reason I'm telling you about this is because people like to applaud the championship while ignoring the work that leads up to it. People say, oh, look at you, Nelson, you're so fit, you did great. Oh, that, you just got lucky that you're that fit. And you're like, boy, you haven't even seen all the times I start working out at 6 a.m. Someone may say, man, you have an amazing marriage. Oh, it's just wonderful, you're just so lucky, you're blessed. Well, I am blessed, but you didn't see all the work and perseverance that went into making that relationship a priority in my life. 
So the reason I tell you that is I want to, uh, today we're going to talk about the walls of Jericho, but a lot of times people just focus on the walls falling down. But today I want to focus on the lead up to the walls falling down. So the title of my message is called Before the Victory. Before the victory. So, Ben, you're dismissed. You guys will be up in probably just a few minutes anyway. We're going to worship in a little bit more. So you guys are dismissed. Before the victory. Larry Bird did not wake up one day in his bed, in his house that was cold, saying, you know what? I feel like winning a championship versus the Houston Rockets. Let me just go as an eight-year-old boy, make a three-pointer, and I'm just going to win. No, of course not. But people always applaud him. Bert, you're incredible. You had three championships. You helped do this. You helped do this. And I bet sometimes I didn't have a chance to interview him. He said he was too busy to come today to vision. Can you believe him? Just joking. I didn't ask. But I bet you if you were to ask him, he'd be like, guys, I appreciate the compliments, but you never look at actually what it took to get there. It took lots of sleepless nights of stressing and overcoming poverty and just that lifestyle. But it also took shooting a thousand free throws on an afternoon while you were out partying. It also took running suicides up and down the court whenever you said you were such thing as too tired, but you were just being lazy. I still persisted. I was very persistent, and that's how I got the victory. And that's sort of what happened with the Israelites because people know as the walls of Jericho, you march around seven times, the walls fall down. Joshua, you're great, man. Good job. And I bet you he would probably say back to you, yes, but did you see all that we went through before? There's a lot that happened before the walls came down. So in a way, this message is not just supposed to encourage you. That's part of what it's supposed to do. But if I was just supposed to encourage you, you could check out a cute little news broadcast somewhere and then that could encourage you. I also want to challenge you today because some of you are just a few steps away from the walls falling down. Some of you guys in your lives are right there around the seventh lap, the wall is about to fall down. And some of you guys on the other side of the Jordan River afraid to take your first step because you're being fearful and you're not actually willing to to actually take steps of faith. So wherever you are on this journey, I want to encourage, but also challenge you today. So if you have a note card out, uh, I like you, you get one extra point. If you don't, go ahead and get a note card out because I have some stuff that God shared me this week I want to relay on to you guys. So a little backstory, the Israelites left Egypt. They were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years with the Lord providing manna six days a week. And it felt like they were just spinning in circles. Man, I I know sometimes whenever I'm in life and I'm waiting on something, like if your Amazon Prime package has been delayed, I had a a whiteboard come. Is this adulting so lame? I I, I got a whiteboard. It's supposed to come on Thursday, got delayed to Friday, check today. It's probably like in Mars somewhere. Amazon doesn't even know. And I'm just waiting a couple of days and it feels like a long time. Is that just me or do you guys like get so impatient over stuff? We're so childish sometimes. And it takes that, it felt like it was taking a long time for that package. But can you imagine 40 years? That's almost double me. <laughs> so for 40 years, they're wandering around and the Lord was providing manna because they were hungry and they didn't have Roost Chris Steakhouse out in the wilderness. And whenever they were wandering through, eventually they came up to the Jordan River. This was an opportunity for them to trust God with their faith. It was this huge river flowing. I'm pretty sure we have a picture of it, Jordan River. I tried to find, uh, I actually looked up Jordan River. I did, did some research. That was probably the most accurate picture I could find. It looks like the Whitewater Center, about 10 times more, and there's not lifeguards to save you in case you fall. But they walked up to the edge and they were instructed, take a step into the water. And that's a faith step for the Israelites because for 40 years, they were, wandering, they were just wandering around. The Lord was 
providing manna for them to eat. They didn't have to get Uber Eats or go to McDonald's. It was brought to them, guys. I mean, talk about like technology or the Holy Spirit in that sense. It was brought to them, but they had to take their step. And all this happened leading up to the walls of Jericho falling down. So the first thing I want you to write down is God will rarely fulfill a promise in your life without testing your faith. God will rarely fulfill a promise in your life without testing your faith. Maybe, you, maybe you've been sitting on the sidelines saying, okay, I want to take that next step in my career, but I'd have to go, actually, like, go back to school for two years, and I'm not sure how I'd do that with timing and money and studying and all that stuff. And God's like, well, you're not going to grow until you actually take that step of faith. Maybe you're looking for the, the perfect godly spouse. You're looking for the one that's going to be the one made for you and the cute love story and all that stuff. Then maybe your step of faith is you need to stop going to clubs on the weekend trying to find people who are half decent for your goal. Maybe you need to stop looking at women on screens because that's not gonna lead you to be in a, to be in position ready to find the woman that God has for you. So wherever you are, before you get the promise, God wants to test your faith to first of all grow you and second of all, I believe, to make sure that he has your heart. So after this, um, the Lord said to Joshua, today I, will, today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. If the Lord said that to me, I would be very honored. That's a huge, huge thing the Lord told him. He'll be a great leader for God's people, the Israelites. And the reason I point this out is that Joshua's first victory wasn't the famous story of the walls of Jericho, but he grew in his faith through previous trials, such as crossing the Jordan River. And I believe, again, a couple of reasons, God wanted to trust his heart, make sure that, that he could trust him. But second of all, I don't know if Joshua's faith would have been strong enough to march around the wall seven times if he wouldn't have walked into the Jordan. Some of you guys are like, man, why can't I just have the big business with all the employees yet? And God's like, you, have, you don't even have, have the guts to ask your boss for a raise or for overtime. Like, why in the world should I, should I give you a new business? Because if God gave it to you right now, it would not be a blessing, it would be a curse. And I believe that if Joshua just found a whitewater raft and just went over the Jordan River without having to test his faith, I'm not sure if he would have made it on the seven walls. Maybe day four or five, he'd be like, okay, this is sort of goofy. People are, are laughing at me. People are putting me on their stories, making me just look so silly. I'm, I'm, I don't have enough faith, keep doing this. And we would never hear about this story. So wherever you are, whatever obstacle you're facing, God wants to use it as an opportunity to grow your faith. After this, upon crossing, the, upon crossing the Jordan River, the Lord instructed Joshua to take 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan and to construct a memorial. These stones were set up to inform future generations about what the Lord did and to remind the current generation of the Lord's faithfulness. And this isn't like some figurative language about 12 stones meaning emotion. No, like he actually went into the river, picked up 12 stones, they took them, and they built a memorial. And what I love about this is one, it's very symbolic. Whenever you've gone through a miracle in your life, whenever you've seen a friend be healed of cancer or, or be healed from a mental struggle and you catch to be a part of their lives, it changes you. And whenever Joshua and the Israelites went through the Jordan River, it changed them. And God said, I don't want you to just forget about what I did, but I want you to take these stones, build a memorial so you can always look back and remember not just what I did, but who I am and God is faithful. So he instructed them to set up those 12 stones. And point number two is that gratitude is in God's DNA. If you spend more time praying and asking God for things than thanking him for what he's done and who he is, that's signs of an um, immature believer, of a childish believer. I'm not saying that we can't ask God for things, 
but we need to spend just as much time thanking him for what he's done in our lives and also in history saying, God, just thank you for the gift of salvation today. Salvation will always be the greatest miracle. God, thank you that we live in a free country. Thank you, God, for my friends, my family. And I believe once you have a heart of gratitude, then the Lord is saying, okay, now I'm more open to hearing your request because your heart is in a spot of gratitude. And I believe if Joshua would have just went through the Jordan River without saying anything, okay, cool, thanks, God, yeah, okay, whatever. All right, walls of Jericho, come down. God be like, did you not just see all that I did? So I believe definitely it's, it's to remember who God is and to give thanks to God, but also gratitude's in God's DNA because it reminds us of who he is in those problems, in those troubles, in those difficulties. So if, if God brought you through a couple years ago, whenever you're struggling with that mental issue, whenever you're struggling with that addiction, and then the next time something strong happens or something tough happens in your life, and you're like, okay, God, what am I gonna do? He's like, you need to look back and see what I did earlier in your life. And sometimes we can also look at our friends and see, okay, I remember whenever God healed my brother less of cancer. So whenever I see someone else, if they're struggling with cancer or any type of a, a physical sickness, I can remember that God was faithful in his life. And that's a 12 stone, those are 12 stones that I set up in my life to look back on God's faithfulness. So once they pass through the, pass through the Jordan River, the Israelites are in a pretty great spot. The kings heard about how the Lord dried up the Jordan and it says they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. That's in an amazing spot to be whenever your enemies are paralyzed with fear because of you. And this isn't because of actually Joshua and the Israelites themselves, but it's because of God who is in them and God who is on their team. Because if God is for you, then who could be against you? So they were terrified of him. So at that point, the Lord instructed Joshua to circumcise the second generation of Israelites. Ooh. For those of you who don't know, it's a chop, chop for gentlemen. If you need more explanation, don't ask me. Find someone else. Don't look it up either. But that's what the Lord instructed Joshua, is to circumcise the second generation of Israelites. And this really stumped me, because this week, I just, I'm just being honest. I, I sit with God and said, God, that would really hurt. I was Lord, that would really Really, really hurt. And I'm not talking where you just drive up to, to Caramont and you give them your insurance and like anesthesia. I'm talking, he probably got you know, like a rock, sharpen it. Is it, sh- is it sharp enough? Yeah, it looks good. All right, close your eyes. They weren't accepting insurance back then, which in a way may have been a good thing. But um, I was like, hey, God, why? Uh, so we don't have to deal with insurance and pay premiums, adulting. So this was important because circumcision was an outward sign of a covenant that God's people had with their creator. Now, again, we don't have to do that now as believers because Paul tells us in Colossians 2 that that circumcision is no longer required, praise the Lord, but instead baptism is now our outward symbol of professing Christ. Why in the world is this important? Because point number three is that you need to make changes to show that you are in Christ. You need to have a physical, outward appearance shift from bad to good, from dark to light, from Satan to Jesus, And I'm not saying that this is what saves you because that's not what saves you. If you've never admitted that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior in your life and you believe in the death and the resurrection of God, but you get baptized, you are not saved. Baptism is just an outward showing of saying, yes, this is what I believe. And that's what circumcision was back then. It's saying here, I'm physically making a change to my body to show that I'm on God's team. Now, this is important because nowadays, yes, we have baptism, but also the way that we can have an outward change is the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we treat others, the way we spend our money, the way we're generous, the way we spend our time. And if we are in sin for the first 20, 30 years of our life, we accept Christ 
and we just come to church on Sunday and nothing else changes, I'm, not, I'm just going to say you're not doing a real good job. People should be able to tell a difference in your life whenever you are before Christ and once you're in Christ. Because I'm around, I'm around some Christians who they'll just say, I love Jesus, but I cuss all the time. It's okay. God knows my heart. I'm not saying that you're going to hell if you cuss after you profess Christ. But what I am saying is that if you actually profess Christ in your heart and you invite him into your heart, your mind, soul, and spirit, he will change the way you think. And you can ask the Holy Spirit to remove those evil words from your minds. And every time you say it, you can repent and have a change of heart. So what am I saying? I'm not saying that, that if you cuss, you're not a Christian, but I'm saying that if you're a Christian, you shouldn't have a desire to cuss. The way you treat people should be totally, totally different. If you used to treat people bad before and then now you're a Christian and, now, and then now you just continue to treat people like trash, but now you have a bigger sword to hit them with, you're doing a terrible job and you need to stop representing Jesus and calling yourself a Christian. You have to change the way that you're living or else you're doing a bad job advertising for the kingdom of God. Preach the gospel and use words when necessary. People should be able to tell you're a follower of Jesus based off the way you live and not just the cute little words you say. You have to make an outward change to show that you are in Christ. And I believe that's one of the key things that the Israelites had to do, specifically the men. I'm not sure why the women didn't have anything like that. <laughs> it, was just, it was just the men back then. But God wanted them to do that to say, are you really with me? Are you really with me? Will you change the way, you, will you change your outward appearance to show that you are on my side? So after that, God said he rolled away the shame of their slavery in Joshua 5, 9. And I stopped at this verse because last year I read through the whole Bible in a year, one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, and I'm, I was so grateful for it because I was able to soak in a lot of God's word. And, and that isn't the brag. It's just to show that whenever you soak in God's word, it changes you. And I, I, I underlined it. So whenever I was reading through it this, uh, this past week studying, I just stopped and I, I just reread over that. Rolled away the shame of their slavery. Now, most or all people in here have not actually been a slave before, a physical slave. But we may have been a slave to something emotionally. We may have been a slave to a type of sexual sin, to a type of financial sin, to an alcohol or gambling addiction. And we may have been a slave to something. And nine times out of 10, we have been before. We have been a slave to something. And I wanna just let you know, you need to stop repeating things that God doesn't say about you. If God rolled away the shame of their slavery, he can do it for you. He's already done it. You just have to receive it. So if God says you are healed, don't walk around just saying, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick. You know, you could say, I'm battling what, what people say about me as sickness, but I know that I'm healed, or I'm a person who's healed battling a sickness, but your identity is no longer sick because that's not what God says about you. God rolled away the shame of their slavery. 1 John 1, 9 says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, now this verse is extremely important because it doesn't just say that God will just wipe it all away and you're just good to go. You have to confess your sins to him. Say, Lord, I've messed up. I need to humble myself under the mighty hand of God because in that you will lift me up and you will cleanse me of that shame of those sins. So the Israelites were camped at Gilgal, which was a place of memorial, celebrating Passover. And at verse 11, it says, the very next day they began, to, they, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. No manna appeared on the day 
They first ate from the crops of the lands, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate the crops of Canaan. So I read this, and I was like, okay, God, you provided manna for so long. I mean, for 40 years in the wilderness, you just dropped it down, six out of seven days, consistent, 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 and then it stopped. For a second, I was like, God, did they like either lose your blessing? Did they do something wrong? Were they supposed to go to the promised land? And I had to do some research on it because it stumped me. I was like, God, why would you cut off that supply? But see, manna was provided for 40 years whenever the Israelites left Egypt and were, uh, and were through the desert for, uh, because it was such harsh conditions. There's such a lack of food and God had to provide them. But see, manna is a foreshadow of Christ because in John 6.35, Christ says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst." So that's what manna is representing in the wilderness, that Christ is still with them, foreshadowing. I love how the Bible does that. And see, whenever Jesus fed the 5,000 uh, in John 6.34, the disciples wanted to give the, the disciples want, uh, want him to give us this bread always. So Jesus is known as bread. He's known as manna, known within a symbolism of that he's always there, always providing. So why did the manna eventually stop once they were in Canaan? Because manna was sufficient for the wilderness, but it's not enough to sustain them in the promised land. I just want to stop there for a second. How many of you are still eating manna and depending on manna like a crutch when God's telling you you need to let go of the crutches and you need to trust me? You're going to need a stronger supply of food than just manna to be able to go to this next season in your life. I think this is really tough for believers because sometimes we just view prayer as an alternative to preparation. We say, oh, I'm just going to have faith instead of actually having hard work. But that's not how it works for the Christian life because Paul is very clear and the New Testament says, you don't work, you don't eat. So maybe some of your next step is you need to actually deny food stamps and say, you know what, I'm actually going to take a second job because food stamps aren't enough to sustain me in this next season. Some of you need to say, you know what, I, I, I am done with social media because it's my crutch, I'm addicted to it. If this next season, instead of being on Instagram, I need to read a book. And taking those small steps, you're stepping out of what was meant to sustain you in a desert, but it's not enough to bring you into a promised land. So once they finally get rid of manna, well, I think it was like McDonald's food, enough that it will give you enough energy for 45 minutes, they have to finally get some meat, some veggies, because now it's time to fight. The wandering's done, it's time to fight. Now they're ready for Jericho. So point number four, get rid of the crutches. And I'm not sure what that means for each person, but I believe God at times will give different faith steps to different people. Maybe your crutch is you keep hanging around the same group of bad friends who are keep bringing you to places where you don't want to go. And God says, your next step is you need to quit looking for validation in that group of friends and you need to learn to be content with just me and you. Maybe your next step of validation is I, just, I wonder if God's like, I dare you to go 48 hours without alcohol and just see how incredible you'll be able to think and process. And in that time you're not intoxicated, the Holy Spirit will be able to speak to you and you'll be able to understand, but you have to let go of the crutches of the bottle to be able to understand what I want to relay to you. You have to get rid of the crutches. Because during the storm in Matthew 14, Jesus told Matthew to come. He didn't say, hold on to this tightrope, hold on to this like raft and come to me. Jesus just said, come. He had to fully trust him. In Matthew 4, Jesus told Simon, Peter, and Andrew to follow him and to start fishing for men. And it says, immediately they dropped their nets and followed him. Can you imagine dropping everything, job, um, anything, hobbies, everything else they're doing to follow Jesus. They had to let go of their crutches. And at times in our walk, that's what the Lord will prompt us to do as well. And as you see, all this is leading up to before 
the victory of the walls of Jericho. Joshua 6.2 says, But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. What's important about this is that the Lord gave a promise. The Lord already told Joshua what's going to happen. So whenever you know ahead of time what the outcome is going to be, why fear? Why be worried? Now looking back, hearing the story of, yep, the walls came down, they marched around on, on the seventh lap, they just shouted, it came down. I don't know why they were nervous. But what's funny about this is that God gave a promise over you and over me. God says, if who is for you, God says, if I'm for you, who can be against you? God says that all things work together for the good of those. And if God gave us those promises, why should we fear? Point number five is we have to take God at his word. Are we going to take God at his word or are we going to challenge it? Romans 3, 4 says, even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. So in that moment, Joshua had to step back and say, God, am I going to actually look at what's happening? Am I going to look at my circumstances or am I going to look at who my God is and trust in who he is? He had to have confidence knowing that his, knowing that his battle was already won. Romans 8.37 says, No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. That same promise to Joshua, that same promise to all those men and women of God apply to us. Overwhelming victory is ours. So you're going to put the picture of the walls of Jericho. After all those different things that the Lord brought Joshua through, now it is time for the big test. He went through the Jordan River, even before then, going through the, the wilderness, the Jordan River. He had to make changes. He had to take God out, he had to take God out of his word, at his word, he had to get rid of the crutches. Finally, it says, God gave instructions to march around the town once a day for six days, and on the, on the seventh day to march around the town seven times. When the priest gave a long blast on the ram horns, the people shouted as loud as they could, and the walls came crumbling down. It's incredible. And whenever I was studying, honestly, I was disappointed that the chapter was so short, that that segment was so short. And I was like, well, God, how am I supposed to preach on just a, a short segment about this? Because that's really all it said. It was just they marched around, the walls came down, they went in, charged, and took it. And I was like, okay, well, that's, that's why I have to look up and read and see the victory uh, or all the stuff needed to come up beforehand. So point number six is don't be afraid to look foolish. Can you imagine how silly it looked marching around those walls seven times? And for the six days before it, marching around at once, that must have looked so foolish. But Joshua said, my God gave me a promise. I'm gonna hold on to that promise and I don't care what others think. And let me just give you a little tip here. Whenever uh, you reach this point in your walk with Christ where you don't care what others think, you just instantly go to another level. Because whenever God gives you a word and God says, you need to go over there and speak to that person, you need to go minister to that person, whenever you don't care what others think, it sets you free. It sets you free from what others think and it also gives God an opportunity to work through you. Because um, I said, don't be afraid to look foolish. And I was like, well, it looks pretty foolish because I was doing some research. It says, uh, excavations later found the walls to be 11 feet high and 14 feet wide. There's no way, no way that man could do that. But the Lord had him, but the Lord did it because he gave that promise to him. Joshua gave a clear instruction, said Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared for she protected our spies. So before all this happens, Joshua sent a few spies to go check out the town and then Rahab the, the prostitute basically housed them, kept them safe, lied, and um, 
it's truly a miracle. I mean, God works through someone who oftentimes people would have overlooked. I did some research. Rahab was not just a prostitute. She actually ran a house of prostitution, and she was a prostitute uh, within that house. Honestly, a woman who was really far from God, a woman who didn't want anything to do with God, but the Lord still chose to work through her. But since she helped the spies, uh, Joshua promised them, or Joshua promised her that I will keep you safe as long as you put the scarlet cord out your window, I'll take care of you. But everything else had to be destroyed. And I was like, well, that's pretty harsh. I was like, if you're going into a city, why not at least take some of the infrastructure, everything else that's there, why not just use at least what's there? But then I found out God wanted it to be destroyed because sin had to be removed, whatever the cost. The men, women, children, animals, anyone who was involved in sin had to be completely removed. So how does this apply to you? Once you're in Christ, you have to get sin out of your life, guys. You have to. If you're in a workplace and all your coworkers are constantly encouraging you to just cheat, to mess with the employer, to steal money, to do all this stuff, you either have to find different groups of people to hang around at work, or guys, you need to get a new job. Because the people you hang around will eventually influence you. Once you're in Christ, you have to remove sin from different areas in your life because that's what Joshua had to do. He had to clear all of the sin out of the place where God was taking them. Because if you let sin in your house, if you just let a little bit grow, it'll eventually grow and grow. And whenever you're least expecting it, it will overtake you. So I want to focus on Rahab for a second. Because Rahab was one of the only two women mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. It says, it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And I just find it amazing that in the hall of faith that Rahab the prostitute was mentioned. I just had to stop and just take some time to wrap my mind around. I said, I thought that God would have put lots of other people who like, weren't a prostitute or who didn't run a house of prostitution. But this shows that God selects what man rejects. Wherever you are in your life, whatever you've done, it does not disqualify you from what the Lord wants to do in your life. It said that Joshua spared her because, the, because she helped the spies. And point number eight is that honor is the highway to God's heart. You need to keep your word. Whenever we honor others, we are doing a great job of representing Christ. Honor is the highway to God's heart. Something else about Rahab is that, is that God loves Rahab even when she was a prostitute. Now check this out. She was not in right standing with God but God still loved Rahab, but he never wants someone to leave where they are at. And that God did not agree with her acts of prostitution, but he wanted to change her. And she did have a change of heart. In Joshua 2.11, Rahab professes her faith in God by saying, For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. And through that, it saved her whole family. And something else that is just incredible about this. Go and put up that picture for me. About the uh, genealogy. Last one. So right here, we're looking at Rahab. Uh, uh, her son was Boaz and Obed and Jesse. She was the great, great grandmother of King David. And if you follow that line all the way down, Jesus Christ was within her genealogy. Jesus Christ came through the line of someone who was a prostitute. Isn't that incredible who someone as wicked as a prostitute and who ran a house of prostitution she came and said, Lord, you're God and I need you to come and take over my life. She repented of her sins and God used her 
for Jesus Christ. Years and years and years before Jesus Christ was born, God had a plan for it. God chose Rahab to be an ancestor of Jesus and so the great-great-grandmother of David and his master plan. So I want to focus on her for a second and just say, you may, you may be in a spot where Rahab is or where Rahab was. Maybe not running a house of prostitution or something as intense, but God may just be poking you today and saying, hey, even though you're sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, I still want to work through you. I want to work through you. I want you to repent of your sin. Come into my family. You can be adopted to the family of God and he can use you or maybe it's not even something that intense. Maybe it's just something where you're living a lifestyle that just doesn't honor God. Maybe you just treat people like trash. And God says, I want to change your heart and I want to use you no matter what your past was. Because God said that he wiped away the shame of, of the Israelites' slavery in Egypt. And if he wiped away the shame of their slavery, he can do it for you too. He can do it for you. Last thing I want to close with is this morning, um, I got out of the shower and Hannah asked if I was excited to preach my wife. I said, yes. She said, are you going to offend anyone today? And I said, if someone's living in sin and not in Christ, then yes, because the gospel is always offensive to someone who's not in Christ. Why? Because it challenges their ways. It challenges their wicked and evil ways. If you're not in Christ, this seems like a foreign language to you. Why in the world would I change? Why would I want to, quote, turn away from my sin? Why would I want to be born again? How is that even possible? Well, it was neat because I had a conversation with a gentleman uh, out of town. It was, it was in a really liberal city uh, a little bit ago. And I had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. And he was just asking some questions about, so would you say, basically like, I told him that Jesus Christ is, is the way to heaven. You have to repent. I mean, just the whole message of the gospel. Um, and he was about twice as old as me. And I could tell he never heard this message before. And he was respectful. He just said, well, how do you respond to a Muslim who says that their God is right or they have multiple gods? And see, this is where as Christians, it sometimes can be a little divisive. It can be offensive to someone who's not in Christ. And I, I word it nicely, but nicely, uh, this, is, this is what I believe. I believe you're incorrect because Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He was asking questions about, so if I don't accept Christ, but I go into a candy store or, or I go into like a Walgreens, I steal a candy bar, I'm going to hell? I said, yes. And it's not just because of the candy bar you stole, but it's because of the sinful nature inside of us. And you see through those statements, that could be offensive to a non-believer. But when God changes your heart, you could be open to what God wants you to say. So why am I telling you all of this? Because if you're not in right standing with the Lord and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, nothing I said for the previous 30 minutes will probably make sense to you. They're saying, why would I listen to a God who would tell me to march around walls? Why would I listen to a God who tells me to go leave everything and follow him? But it's because once you accept Christ, you can hear the Holy Spirit and God will change your life. And once you take those steps of faith of crossing the Jordan River, of making an outward change, whether through baptism or through leaving sinful natures behind, getting rid of crutches in your life, then you could walk around your walls of Jericho, see those walls fall down, and then go into your promised land. And for some of you, this message may not apply to you today because God may have not given some of you a faith step yet. Some of you may be in your promised land, but I guarantee you at some point, you will have walls that need to fall. Whether it's in a relationship, a medical issue, you will have walls that will need to come down in your life. 
So I just want to pray a blessing over you real quick. That will just, uh, well, I believe, just seal these words of God in your hearts so that whenever that time comes and you need those walls to fall or whether that's you right now, that you could take God's word to your hearts and have the spirit change you. So dear Lord, God, thank you for the words that were spoken today. God, thank you for your goodness. God, thank you that you are Lord over all. God, I thank you for the miracles that you worked in Joshua's life and with the Israelites. And God, that those walls just came falling down. And Lord, I pray over every person today, Jesus, that whether they have walls that need to come down in their life today or whether it's gonna be a future wall that needs to come down, God. I pray that the words spoken today will just build faith in their hearts, they'll build hope in their spirits, God, and that whenever we face our Jordan River or our walls of Jericho, God, that we can trust in you, lean into your word, so God, that we can just believe the victory that you've already spoken over our lives. God, we love you, we worship you, God, we just want to come into your house. We just praise and thanksgiving, God, just thanking you for who you are and all the awesome things you've done. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us today on the Vision Church podcast. We hope that you were able to experience God in a real and powerful way today. If you just made the decision to accept Jesus, then congratulations. We would love to celebrate with you. Visit viz.church salvation, and we would love to meet you along with mailing you a free gift. We would also love to have you join us for church in person or on the Vision Network this Sunday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Head on over to viz.church RSVP to let us know you're coming. As always, we are here for you and we'd love to pray for you in any way that we can. Send us a DM on Instagram at viz.church and a team member will be in touch shortly. Thanks again for joining us and God bless.